welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finkson. Uh, with the disc golf thing, turning your Bibles to Luke 15, we're in a series called Lost and Found, with the subtitle, Recovering the Heart of the Father. And uh, this one chapter is a parable that Jesus tells in answer to an accusation that the Pharisees and the scribes were making against him about receiving tax collectors and sinners and even eating with them. That's found in verse 1 and 2. And he tells three stories in his parable. The story of the lost sheep, a lost coin, and lost sons. And I want to remind you that uh, when we talk about lost, we're not talking about misplaced or misdirected or absent or confused or deceived. The word here actually means to be headed for destruction, to perish, or headed for ruin. And this story my Bible has over verse 11 and the following. It says the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And when we think of the prodigal son, we identify... Most of the time with the younger son. He goes to the father, he demands his part, he receives it, he leaves the family, wastes it all, finds himself in one in the pig pen and comes to himself and returns to the father. And the father readily forgives him and receives him back to full sonship. He throws a party for the community because the son who was dead is alive again. And most of us, when we think of the prodigal son, that's what we think of. And yet the story doesn't end there. In fact, it's about half through. The story is about two sons who are both far from the father, who are both assaulting the unity of the family and the community. The younger son's lostness is easy to see. He's selfish, he's rebellious, he's wasteful, he's disrespectful, and he's acting it all out, just like some of us. That's supposed to have been a joke. Thank you. How many of you know a little, a few selfish, rebellious, wasteful, disrespectful, acting it all people? Acting it all out people, excuse me. He's headed for ruin, for destruction. He's lost In the desires of the flesh. But Jesus doesn't end with the story of him coming back. Jesus continues the story about an older son to show that he's just as lost. He's headed for destruction and he doesn't even know it. He's lost in the darkness of his own perceived goodness. We want to look at verse 25. The story of the younger son ends with the father killing the fatty calf, throwing a party, and they began to be merry. And verse 25 says this, Now this older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and that word servant there actually means servant boy. In other words, one of those boys that's always peeking in the window to see what's going on. He calls the servant and he asks him what what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry 
and would not go in. He was angry and would not go in. I don't know, this is kind of weird, but this this song comes to my mind. Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. Party pooper. Have you, have you ever known a party pooper? How many of you are a party pooper, you know? That's what I feel like with this elder son. Here's a, they're making merry. This young son has come back. He's been forgiven. He's been placed in a, in a place of honor. And his father is celebrating. And the elder brother is standing outside pouting. The prodigal's return was the greatest day in his father's life. The elder son refuses to go to the biggest feast his father has ever put on. He remains outside. It's a public display of disrespect for his father. You've got to realize that uh, this estate is no small estate. He's been out in the field doing his job. He's been, and they've already killed the fatted calf. They've already cooked it. They've already started the party. It took him that long to get back to the house. And when he gets back to the house, he hears the music and the dancing. There's a party going on and he's not there. Not only that, he wasn't consulted. You see, the biggest time of the father's life and he remains outside. It was a public display of disrespect for his father. A deliberate vote of no confidence in his father's action. Why is he angry? Well, is he jealous? Probably not. I imagine he felt superior to the whole event. Felt superior to his little brother as well as to this foolish father who was letting him back in. Was he resentful perhaps? But you know, I think it was more about justice. It's about right. See, it's not his sin that's keeping him out. It's his view of righteousness. This is not right. You see it in Luke fifteen twenty nine. He replies, this is a New Living Translation, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now folks, listen. He's not saying it's not fair. He's saying it's not right. It's unjust. That son of yours squandered it all and you're letting him back in? I've slaved for you and I deserve, at least I deserve for you to consult me on the decision. I never disobeyed you and you didn't even consider my position. It all sounds logical. In fact, it sounds right. After all, he's the good son. He's not going in. So let me ask a question. Would you? Would you go in to such an event where sinners are on display? Where people who've wasted it, laundered it, Disrespected the Father, disrespected you. 
disrespected God? Would you go in? Or would you stand out and show your disapproval? I can hear the elder son. The father's losing it. Now you've got to get the picture. The bad son, the bad son is sitting at the table in the father's robe with the father's ring and new shoes eating a T-bone. The good son is standing outside, angry, alienated. Who's lost now? Who's the one that's left the family? The good son is not being considered. It's easy to see the young brother's sin. It's all out there. Everybody knows. The community knows. But now Jesus is exposing the elder brother's lostness. And in fact, in the whole story of the two sons, Jesus is revealing something I think sometimes we don't see. Both brothers were looking for the same thing. They were looking for the Father's stuff, for the Father's blessing, for the Father's estate. They were looking for the blessings in life. The younger son wanted to make his own decisions, do his own thing, live the life he wanted to live in his own way, away from the family, away from everybody else. He wanted to make it on his own. The older son wanted to make it and get the stuff by being good. By staying. By living according to the expectations. The elder wanted the same thing, only he was going to do it by staying close and never disobeying. By being good. Goodness would be his way of controlling his life and getting the Father's blessing. Neither son... Love the Father for the Father. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving and enjoying and serving Him for His own sake. And here's the thing you, I think we don't sometimes get. You can rebel against God and be lost by breaking the rules. And you can rebel against God and be lost by keeping all the rules. The whole point is about being in relationship with the Father. Sin's not just breaking the rules. It's trying to be your own God. Do your own thing. Save yourself. The younger son wanted to do it by leaving the family. The older son wanted to do it by his goodness to the family. Both were trying to save themselves. Both were trying to be their own gods. And Jesus is just laying it out there. Not just for them, but for us. You see, if you could save yourself, there's no reason for Jesus. And the worst lostness there is, is to think you don't need salvation. 
that you're good enough. The title of the message this morning is you're good for nothing. It's being good for nothing. Because if you're trusting your goodness and you're trusting your rightness and you're trusting your righteousness, if you're trusting your ability to do the, to tow the line, to haul the water, to keep the faith, you're trusting in the wrong thing because only Jesus can save. The younger son comes to himself and sees the emptiness of his all. The older son comes to his own self-righteousness and sees the injustice in it all. The injustice. The elder son's refusal to go in shows us that the father's happiness had never been his goal. He wasn't thinking of the father. He was thinking of himself. He was just marking time. His morality, his goodness was just a way to make the father give him the things in life that he thought he deserved. He had earned it. I've slaved for you. Now, in case you wonder... I identify with one person in this story this morning. If you were attending an AA meeting, you've heard the, the AA meetings, you know. You'd hear the people that'd come up and say, they'd introduce themselves, my, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. If you're attending New Covenant this morning, my name's Daryl and I'm an elder brother. I know it. I see it. I identify with it. The injustice of what God lets people get by with. Look, I've, I've told the line. I've kept the rules. I've done everything, God, you told me to do. Why? Why is all this happening? Why don't you let them see it? Why don't you see it? Now, I know nobody's going to... There are people who are complete elder brothers. But we'll never admit it. And so this morning I want to talk to you about what it would be like if you were elder brother-ish. We're not elder brothers, we're just elder brother-ish. What that means is you're saved by grace and you know it, but you act like it's by your works. Somehow we got this idea that God owes us a good life because of the life we've lived. So what would an elder brotherish attitude look like? It's right here. Jesus tells us. First of all, there's a deep anger. Verse 28 says he became angry. You see, elder brothers or elder brotherish believe that God owes them a comfortable and good life if they try hard and live up to the standards. And most of us think we have. I've done the best I could. You know, if you do the best you could, God owes you. If you do the best you can, you deserve to be considered. You do the best you can. Because that's all that can be expected of us is just to do the best we can. There's another scripture that says, be perfect as I am perfect. Yeah, but God doesn't mean that. What if He does? You see, I've discovered something about my own life that when I do everything God's told me to do and I've done it and I do it to the best of my ability, I believe my my life ought to be going really good. It ought to be okay. 
I shouldn't be having these problems. And I shouldn't be, and, and, and I ought to have a good reputation. People shouldn't be talking bad about me. You know, if you do what God's wanting you to do, don't you expect it to turn out right? Don't you expect it to be blessed? Don't you expect it to be over the top? I mean, you're a Christian. You're in the house. You're in the family. You're in the family business. And anything God tells you to do to the best of your ability, you're going to do it. Don't you think you deserve a life of blessing and honor and glory? Don't we all? Well, there's only one thing. We forget Jesus. Now, Jesus really was perfect. He really did keep it all. But He didn't just keep the rules. He, he kept the motive of them. He did the things out of the right re- for the right reason. You see, I keep the rules because I want the good life. I keep the rules because I don't want bad things to happen. I keep the rules so that God will be happy and bless me. Jesus kept the rules because the Father was in relationship with Him. In other words, Jesus did what He did because He saw the Father doing it. He said what He said because He heard the Father saying it. He lived in relationship with the Father and lived it out on earth. I live it out on earth hoping to find that I can live out the good life here so that I can live with Him forever. But right now, I just kind of like to know that I'm going to get the blessings. I know that's not you. That's just elder brotherish. You see, I I think there's a there's a reason for this. And if 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 it doesn't happen, then I don't just get disappointed. I get angry. Now I may get angry at everybody else and blame it on them, but in reality, in the depths of my heart, I know that I'm really angry to God because God, this is not right. But then you got to forget you got to forget Jesus. Jesus lived the best life. He lived it by the motive, the right motive. He lived it. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever suffer for it? Did he did anybody ever mistreat Jesus when he was perfect? Did anybody ever talk about him? Did anybody ever put him down? Did anybody ever want to kill him? And he was right. And I think if I keep it to the best of my ability, God owes me. Well, man, if anybody did, anybody God owed something to, it was His own Son. And He stepped into a world of people, of elder brothers. There's a deep anger. Didn't work out the way I thought. There's a joyous, joyless and mechanical obedience. I've been slaving for you. Elder brothers obey God's as a means to the end, as a way to get the things that they really love. You obey to control the environment for yourself. No, I obey in order to get. I obey in order to please. I, I respond in order to... There's got to be something in it for me. There's a story... Elizabeth Elliot writes, and it's a parable kind of, of of Jesus and his disciples. Now, it's not real, it's not scriptural, but it's poignant. That's a big word for me. 
She tells that Jesus' disciples are walking along and Jesus says, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't give any explanation. So the disciples looked around for a stone to carry. Now, Connie and I can vouch for you. In Israel's, there's lots of rock. And they're available. Jesus said, I want you to carry a stone for me. The disciples look around to pick up a stone. Now, Peter, being the practical guy that he is, Peter looks around and he finds the smallest stone on the ground he can go because he's fixing to carry it. So he gets a stone and he puts it in his tunic and they walk on. It comes to noontime and Jesus has all the disciples sit down and he prays a prayer of blessing and he turns all the rocks into bread. Peter pulls out his nugget. A bite size. And he eats it. A light lunch. Jesus teaches a little bit, and then he gets up and he says, I want you to carry a stone for me. Peter's got it. He looks around. Supper's coming. He looks around and he finds the biggest rock he can find. He puts it and puts it on his back. He's carrying a rock for Jesus and he's carrying it. He just can't wait to see what God's going to do. He's carrying a rock. He can hardly keep up with all the others. Usually he's at the front of the line. Now he's at the back of the line. Just barely able to keep up. And finally they come around by the Jordan River. And they come and Jesus takes them. And he has them all sit down. And, and sit down and then he says, I want you to go throw your rock into this, to the river. Peter's confused. I didn't have much lunch. I'm disappointed. Uh, I carried this big rock all day. Yeah, I know it's just from lunch, but I had a little lunch. Surely, God, you, Jesus, you mean something more than just go throw it in the river. Maybe a fish will jump out throws it in the river and he walks back and Jesus can see the look on his face and he says Peter who was you carrying it for who was you carrying it for I asked you to carry the rock for me how many times has God told you to do something and it turned out to be a blessing and next time God told you to do something you think ah this is going to be a good blessing and so you, you try to make more of it and so, but who are you carrying it for what, what's, the, what's the real motive of why you're carrying it because Jesus asked you or because there's some result out at the end of it that you have expectation of and when it doesn't happen you know we go through this joyless mechanic type of obedience well I'll do it but God I ain't happy I think God's wanting me to do that. I just can't believe why he could pick somebody else. There's a lot of other people, a lot younger than me, that could carry that rock. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. You, do. you know, we have this joyless, but it has nothing to do. It has to do with what he's asking us to do, not why I'm doing it. Elder brothers have a joyous, joyless, mechanical obedience. Who are you carrying it for? Third, a coldness to the younger brothers, the less thans, this son of yours. The older son, not even, he will not even own his brother. His old, here's what he was really saying. When I had the funeral for the younger brother, I meant it. 
He's dead to me. He's your son. You're the one that's led him back in. You see, elder brothers pride themselves on their moral purity and unavoidably feel superior to those who don't keep things like they keep things, who have not done things like they've done things. A coldness. He blew it. You ought to let him blow up. You ought to let him... It's not right. You, that, Dad, you've lost it to let him back in. He's dead. And here's the thing. He had a lack of assurance of the Father's own love for him. Verse 29, you never threw me a party. See, as long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through your goodness... You'll never be sure when you've been good enough. Every time something goes wrong in your life, you wonder if it's a punishment. When it doesn't happen the way you expect, you wonder if something's gone wrong, something you did wrong. There's this irresolvable guilt. You can't be sure you repented deeply enough. So you beat yourself up over what you did. You, can, you, you can't forgive yourself and so you don't expect God to. There's a lack of any sense of intimacy with God. You keep the rules. It's about the rules. It's about doing what God said. Because God's just. He's a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. He's hard. For me personally, I recognize it in my prayer life. When I start... To be elder brotherish, when I don't feel that intimacy with God, I start praying my lists. I pray about what I need. I pray about what I want. I pray about those things that I want to see done. I don't just talk to the Father for the company of the Father. You see, I pray. I do my duty. I have my quiet time. I read my Bible. I do those things because I'm supposed to. And here's the thing, I don't want the guilt if I don't. But am I doing it for company with the Father? Am I loving Him? Is He, am I aware of Him loving me? No, I got my list and I got my time schedule and I got to get on with it. Because I'm the good son. I'm doing things for God. I got a job to do. I got a place to be. I got a life to live. I got to do it right. But when have you ever done it right enough? When have you ever done it long enough? Thorough enough? Next thing, elder brotherish, is an unforgiving spirit. The elder brother wouldn't forgive his younger brother for his waste. Now, listen to this. And he wouldn't forgive the Father for his foolish grace. Not just unforgiving of his younger brother, but he was unforgiving. He he couldn't let the Father be good and forgiving and restoring and reconciling. This son was lost, he shouldn't have been found. An unforgiving spirit. And the final one is the one that's the most 
dangerous, a blinding pride. The most dangerous aspect of being elder brotherish is blindness. Blindness. You see, his own perceived rightness, his own perceived goodness blinded him to his own lack of love for the Father. He didn't know the Father. He knew His goodness. I can almost see the cloud roll in. Now He's blaming His Father. He's blaming His brother. He's blaming the crowd. He's even blaming the fatted calf because it was meant to be His. his. He was the one that was the good son. The first requirement for receiving grace is to know you need it. It's not the righteous, it's not the healthy that need the physician, Jesus would say, but the sick. If you know you're sick, you know something's wrong, you go to the doctor in order for them to give you the right prescription and for you to be made well. If you don't know you're sick and if you think you're healthy when you're sick, you might just die. Jesus tells this story over and over. He just uses different ways. The Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee, go. they both go up to the house to pray. And the publican stands in the back, won't even approach it. He beats himself and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee goes and prays thus with himself. Thank you, God, I'm not like that one. Thank you, God, I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm your chosen one. Guess who went home justified and who went home filled with himself? There's a blinding darkness that comes when you have a perceived goodness that justifies you to live in the situation you're in and refuse what the Father is doing. The younger son's rebellion was obvious. The elder brother's was hidden. It was inside. Jesus ends this story on an interesting point. The younger son's in the house enjoying his newfound relationship with his father. The older son is still outside weighing his options. The younger son left the house when he got his inheritance. The, younger, the older son is wondering if he's going to have to leave the house. Because of the foolishness of the Father. Who's really lost? The world today, when they look at the church, they don't see the love of the Father. I'm afraid they see elder brotherish. And I'm one. Jesus doesn't tell the ending. The older son's still outside. Will he come to know just how much he's loved and join the celebration? Or will he remain convinced of his father's foolishness and remain outside angry and alone and self-righteous? He doesn't say. Maybe he doesn't say because we still have the choice. What will we do? What would you do? 
Now, I'll tell you how I'd like to see the story end. I'd like to see the Pharisees all of a sudden say, Oh, that's right. We are blinded in our self-righteousness and we've judged this young son and we've judged you, Father. Forgive us and, and, and we join the party and share the robe, share the ring. No. You see, this older brother wasn't going to do that. And boy, I see the vulnerability of Jesus here. Do you realize who Jesus is talking to? The tax collectors and, and the, the sinners, the common people are there. They know they don't measure up. They're coming in to listen to Jesus. They're coming in to hear what He's got to say. They're the ones that's thronging to Him to where there's a crowd that no one else can get around Him. The Pharisees are on the outskirts looking in, telling everybody this can't be the Son of God. Look how He's doing. He's eating with them. He's living with them. He's listening to them. He's receiving them. They're on the outside and now Jesus is talking to them. And if they see it, let me tell you, the temptation is to be offended. You're trying to tell me I'm not right? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've given. Look at what I've become. Who do you think you are, preacher? You'd love it to turn out that the older son goes in, has the party, loves, forgives the brother. They live happily ever after. But the truth of the matter is, these Pharisees are fixing to take two pieces of wood and make a cross out of it and nail Jesus to it. Here's the thing we miss, and it's the part I've left out. Verse 28, I didn't finish that verse. It says, therefore his father came out and begged him, pleaded with him. In verse 31, and he said to him, the older son, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. The thing that we miss in the story and the one we don't identify most with is the father himself. The father, you remember when the young son comes back? He's, he's come to himself. He's going to come back. He's going to confess. He's going to ask the father to make him like a hired servant. And on his way back, the father sees him coming, runs out to him, falls on his neck and kisses him before he confesses. You see, we think that if son comes back, he's got to get the things right. The father, it's not about being right. It's not about being wrong. It's about being in a relationship with the father. It's not about morality or immorality. It's about motive. He falls on the younger son, kisses him, puts the robe on him, puts the ring on his finger, gives him a new pair of shoes, and throws a party. And here's the, the father at the party and the sulking son outside. And the father gets up out of the place of honor because the party's about the father. The party's about the father who has a son that's alive again. The party's about the father. And that father gets up and goes outside and begs a pouting son to come in. you talking about reckless love. You're talking about amazing grace. Don't hear this that the Father's judging or that Jesus is judging the Pharisee. He's not judging the elder brother. He's inviting him. He's inviting him to come in. Now listen to what he says. Everything I have is yours. You want a robe? We'll get you a robe. You want a ring? You'll get a ring. You want shoes on your feet? You can have them handmade. Everything I've got is yours. You see, it's about me and you. Come to me, son. 
It's not about coming to a party. It's not about getting a blessing. It's not about getting an inheritance. I'm your inheritance. And when you get me, you get everything. The good news this morning is that the Father is looking. He's longing. He's seeking all of us. Lostness in the desires of the flesh is easy to recognize. Lostness in the blindness of your own darkness of self-righteousness is much harder and most dangerous. I remember being a burned-out pastor on a performance-based ministry. I remember what it was like to go through the motions and do everything that you're supposed to do, to keep the duties of the visit and to do all the things that the pastors are supposed to do. And I remember going into Connie and saying to Connie, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I think I'm losing my mind. I can't, I can't live this way. I, I, and I, I, was, I was mad at God because it hadn't... I mean, I'd given up everything I wanted in order to do what He told me to do. And it wasn't working out for me. I was disappointed and I was mad. I I still was doing it. Church was doing great. I I was the one miserable. Oh, Connie, if God doesn't do something, I'm done. I'm quitting. Now, here's, here's the most remarkable thing the Father came looking for me. I was in a retreat center room by the miracle of God we got to go on this pastor and wise retreat literally a miracle of God in provision we go there I remember being in the room staying in Isaiah 40 31 that was the room they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength you'll mount up with wings of eagles as you run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint that's my room number We were there and I was on my knees. God brought to mind, Daryl, if you never do anything again, if you never read your Bible again, if you never pray, if you never lead another person to Jesus, if you never preach another sermon, if you never do anything that you think you're supposed to be doing, I want you to know one thing. I love you. I love you. I don't love you because of what you've done. I love you because you're mine. Son, come home to me. It's not about what you're doing. It's about you relating to me. And I remember getting off my knees, finally for the first time in my life, wanting to know that Jesus who loved me like that. My father came to find me. He's still coming. He's still looking. He's still saying, come home. Come home. It's not about right and wrong. It's about me. The good news is, you can carry the rock for Him. Oh, it's so tempting, though, to be an elder brother. (laughs) You see, I can look back in 1983 and I can tell you the time and the date when God set me free from that. And I can look back just a few years and see that I'm right back into it. 
It's so easy to get right back into it. Well, it's about what I do. It's about who I am. It's about what, what people think. It's about... No. It's about Him and me. And me carrying what He's asked me to carry. And here's the thing. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you a question. Is the yoke you're walking under now easy? Is your burden light? If it's not, maybe there's a problem not in what you're doing. Maybe there's a problem in who you're relating to. I'm an elder brother. I know it. But the Father comes for me. He invites me back in. And he says, all I have is yours. Everything, Daryl, you're looking for is found in me. Everything the world is looking for is found in him. Will you carry his rock? Will you relate to him? Let's pray. Father, we honor you and we bless you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that this morning you're inviting us back into a relationship with your person, into the fellowship of your presence. You are inviting us to step out of our rightness and our blindness into the full light of your love. Father, thank you that you never give up on us. And even though tomorrow I may blow it again, you'll come looking for me. There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no lie you won't break down because of your overwhelming love for us. Pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you they would say yes to you this morning. God, heal our blindness. Restore us to your heart and to your love. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.